You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Miller's got it. Into the slot for Kuzmenko off the bench. To the backhand. He scores! I mean, the team's been playing great, like, these last two games. Holy cow. I didn't like our second. We were throwing pucks away, and and I was kind of coming on us. But I liked our third. Good morning, Vancouver. 6.01 on a Monday. (laughs) Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. I should have known that was coming. We are coming to you live from the You should have, too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning to you. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Uh, hello, hello. It is time now, Laddie, to tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? Canucks win! Canucks win for the fourth consecutive game in a row. Andre Kuzmenko with a Kuzmenko show. Nah? Nah? Nothing. Right. And you should appreciate that. What's he up to? 32 goals now? Yeah. He's, he's the team leader in goals with 32. He I'm, had... just, I'm just going to see who he's, who he's keeping company with in terms of goals. Okay, so not quite Ovi. Ovi's got 36 goals. Kuzmenko's got 32 goals. Um... He's one behind Jared McCann. Do you remember that guy? Yeah, he used to play him. for the Canucks. I remember him. Yeah, he was traded away for uh, Branson. I remember him, too. Eric Branson. And he was traded away. Now, now he's got 30, 33 goals for for Seattle. So he has um, one more goal than Andre Kuzmenko, and, who scored twice. Oh, sorry, you want to keep going? Yeah, the, look at all the people with 32 goals. I'm going to run through the list. Okay. Tim Stutzla, Very one good. of Andy's favorite names. Stutzla. Another great name, Rupe Hints. A Stutzla and a Rupe. Actually, some awesome names here. Timo Meyer also has 32. Adrian Kempe, mm-hmm. 32. Carter Verhage. Good name. Awesome name, 32. Good goals. And finishing off in the great name category who have 32 goals, Mika Zabanajad. Oh, wow. Very good. That is a DJ really good Z- list of good names. DJ Zbad. Um, so Kuzmenko scored twice in the 5-2 win over Ottawa on Saturday. He now leads the Canucks with 32 goals, including 10 in his last 11 games. What a remarkable... Remember that tiny, now that we look in hindsight, that tiny little dip that he had when Rick Tockett came aboard? And Tockett was like, he's, uh, he's spinning way too much for yeah. my liking. And then he, he kind of he didn't... He benched him, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Kuzmenko said, show me the tape, coach. And then he saw the tape. He's like, you're right, I am spinning too much. And they just went and scored a bunch of goals. So the question I have for all the people that were like... He's gonna ruin him. Yeah, he's gonna be. He's too mean to him. Yeah, welcome to the NHL. Sometimes a coach will ha- have some tough love for you. So how are you gonna react to it? Are you gonna pout? Or are you gonna get to work? Because Menko got to work, mm-hmm. and now he's earning. He's probably earned the respect of his head coach, and also I imagine he's earned a lot of respect from his teammates who saw him go through that, saw him get called out by his head coach, 
saw how he reacted, went to work. I love the way Kuzmenko plays. Like, and, and you've, you've heard this from me before because yeah. it's not just – this guy isn't just a sniper. He's not just like a talented guy that shows flashes every once in a while. So many of his goals are predicated by the fact that he goes to the hardest area of the ice, and that's right in front of the net. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got no qualms with his game whatsoever. And to be quite honest, not really interested in relitigating yet another debate that's been out there. Whether it was the right decision to sign him, whether it was the wrong decision not to trade him, we got to look forward, folks. We got to have new material to bring to the table every day. We relitigate a lot on well, this. Well, if he keeps producing at this level or even near this level, let's say he's a, let's say he's a thirty goal scorer in the NHL, so he can even have some regression to his shooting percentage next season, and he finishes at the level of, let's say, he finishes with thirty goals, he's retaining his his value. The, that's that's what I didn't want the Canucks to do with any any of their players. Like you sign them to a contract where you're like, oh, that contract is now going to be seen as an anchor, and now you're going to have trouble trading him if you want to, right? That's not gonna ha- that's not gonna happen with Kuzmenko unless he has some like devastating lack of production next season. He is on a very affordable contract. So if you're talking about let's say, down the line, and you do want to trade him, you still can. The problem with the Canucks have had is they've had so many guys that have been signed to contracts or they've acquired them with contracts that are unmovable. Because Menko's on a two-year deal now, a two-year extension. That's not unmovable. That's not going to need a sweetener to move. And also, like you're in a position where you're like, okay, well, let's say there's like a devastating lack of production. Like he all of a sudden turns into like a 10 goal scorer next season. Well, at least you've only got one year on the deal left left after that. It allows you some flexibility. And that's what I like about the Kuzmenko contract. I was a little confused by the contract because I thought that he would try and get a little more term on that contract. But I think what they were – remember when his agent called it a bridge? Like mm-hmm. a bridge – I don't know, it was like a bridge to what? Normally you you sign a bridge if you're uh, coming out of your ELC and you're, I don't know, just bridging a little bit. A right? Bridge like to riches. You're bridging to less UFA – less years until you're an unrestricted free agent. He already was – an unrestricted free agent, but I think what it was, it was a bridge to a higher salary cap. See, the big takeaway, and there were multiple takeaways from that game on Saturday. Uh, real quick, the Senators, yikes. Uh, this is about at the Halford and Bruff jinx is truly alive when it comes to the Ottawa Senators because last week we were talking them up big time going into the week, previewing Saturday's game. We talked to uh, Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa talking about this team that was making this playoff push just four points out. So they get skunked in Chicago. They rally to win in Seattle. They come to Vancouver on Saturday and just kind of a flat effort, I would say. I mean, the Canucks did well defensively, limiting them to 20 shots and kept them off the sheet for almost the entire game. And then they went into Calgary last night and got thumped again. So I think they're in a real tough way and they've got a real tough stretch coming up. Well, that that was the position they're in, right? Like, yeah. when, you, when you're trying to battle back in the standings and trying to make a miraculous playoff, playoff run... You don't have much room for error, and they probably just used their room for error. In the last week, they they lost badly to Chicago. They lost. Uh, they were dominated by the Canucks, and they lost badly last night to the Calgary Flames. I want to talk about the Canucks, though, and um, the fact that they've won four straight now. Mm-hmm. Now, let's for the sake of this 
for the sake of this conversation, let's take Team Tank out. Okay, let's just forget that Connor Bedard even exists. Let's also forget like Adam Fantilli exists and all the guys, all the good quality players in the draft. Sorry, just, sorry Andy. Just for the sake sorry. of just for the sake of this conversation, so we don't get a bunch of texts in like, why are they winning? You know, like we we understand what's going on here. We understand that some of you are frustrated. I'm a little bit frustrated myself. This was the Canucks' fourth straight win. They have only given up eight goals in those four games. And if the problems earlier in the season were a combination of poor goaltending and bad defensive play, you know, you ask the question, what's wrong with them? Well, they're not getting goaltending. Eh, they're also playing pretty badly in front of the goaltender, right? I think we all agreed that with fair, that. Very right? fair assessment, yes. I think it's fair to say that their success lately has been predicated on both improved goaltending and better defensive play. It's not just one or the other. It's not just Demko, and it's not just – the better play that has been brought about by some of the changes that Rick Tockett has made. You mentioned this already. The Sens only had 20 shots on Saturday. And Vancouver's penalty kill, which was a massive issue Mm -hmm. earlier in the season and last season, scored again while keeping the Sens off the board in three tries. Now, the big question is whether we're seeing legitimate improvement that, that can be carried over into next season. Correct. Or is this fool's gold? Is this a soft schedule? Is this team's maybe not giving the Canucks their all? Is this a team that maybe you can make the argument has trouble playing when the pressure's on, but less trouble playing when there's no pressure? There's no pressure on the Canucks right now. They're not in a playoff chase. You know when there's going to be pressure? Game one of next season. When you come into next season and go, you better not have another bad start because right. you had a bad start the season before and a bad start the season before that, and I think there was a bad start the season before that. Mm-hmm. And every year they've come in since then, and they'll be like, we got to get off to a good start, and then they choke badly. Right. And it's going to be, you know, the worst part about this, but the reality of it is that we've, it's kind of like here we go again. Hey, we've done this before. Yep. Right? We've talked ourselves into many a player – based on a 10 or 15 game run at the end of March or beginning of April where you're playing games 72 through 82 in a lost season, right? I can't even remember the amount of guys that have come through. Probably talked myself into Griffin Molino looks fast. Like I'm just, I'm being a a tad facetious there, but it happens. Yeah. And he wasn't that fast. But anyway, (laughs) the point being, (laughs) the point being is we've been here before. So there has been a lot of people that follow this team ardently who have been burned on this before, getting Mm. excited about these games, only to realize what these games mean in the grand scheme. That being said, I'll go house of optimism here. House of positivity. the, The one fundamental difference for me is what the guys are saying, what the players are saying about it. It could be lip service. Don't get me wrong. I'm not naive. But there seems to be a collective understanding of two things. One... Uh, Tockett demanded accountability and buy-in the moment he arrived, and it sounds like he's got it. And then two, all of them have mentioned that there seems to be a lot more structure and a lot more understanding of what we're actually supposed to do with the puck as opposed to, and let's just say it, when they were playing under Boudreaux. Yeah. Right? That is the – those are some pretty significant takes. I mean, look – We're going to play some Thatcher Demko audio coming up, but – iMac had a piece uh, over the weekend um, 
and it was just just talking about the same sort of things we've been talking about now. Um, here's a quote from J.T. Miller. Um, we have a really strong system in place right now. It's become a little more black and white for us versus a lot of gray area. Hmm. So remember when Rick Tockett came in and he said, I'm going to have some rules because you need some rules. And it's not like be on time or no swearing in the dressing room, right? right. It wasn't that types of rules. It was on ice rules. Like when you're in this situation, this happens. Right. When you're in that situation, this happens. Again, the quote from J.T. Miller, it's become a little more black and white for us versus a lot of gray area. The Canucks have been basically put back into elementary school. Yes. Do you, do you remember that practice that, that they had when Rick Tockett, when they were like, you know, the make a pass, the whistle blows. Is everyone in the right spot defensively? Yeah. Okay. Make a pass. The whistle blows. The puck has changed its position in the defensive zone. Has everyone adjusted to the right place? But that's what they needed to do. That's what they needed to do. Here's Tyler Myers again. Here's another quote. There's a lot more trust within our system. Guys know exactly where each guy is on the ice. There's mm -hmm. a lot less guessing, and it's showing. So, listen, we're going to have the conversation after we play this Thatcher Demko audio. Is this sustainable? Because Mike knows it, I know it, Andy knows it, Laddie knows it. We are all very hesitant of getting fooled again. Last year... The guys were really optimistic, and they were talking about how there's a new vibe with Bruce Boudreaux, and they got this forechecking system that's working for us. You know, we're forechecking really well, right? So I'm sorry if I sound a little sarcastic, but I think we're all in this position of, like, I'm not going to get fooled again. I'm not going to get fooled again. But at the same time, we have to go through this and have the discussion of whether this is all sustainable. Here's Thatcher Demko. I mean, obviously they were putting work in when I was out, um, which I wasn't around for. So um, who knows, maybe I'm just reaping the rewards of, of the guys working hard all year. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks great. Um, you know, I think especially the PK, like, that's so big to have. Um, and I think our confidence there in that area is probably the best it's been in two years now. So um, just to keep building on that and um, – you know, I think guys are playing the right way, so it's good. So Thatcher Demko would actually be a great um, judge of how much the things have changed because remember earlier in the season he was the guy, and he was struggling too, but also mm -hmm. the play in front of him was just dreadful. Like, it was absolutely dreadful. Yes. And now he's come back, and he'd be like, well, oh, this looks different. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Uh, but again, like we're not we're – not, well, we're dumb, but we're not dumb in this capacity. Nate from Comox texts in. And he says, you guys got mesmerized by JT com JT's comments about defensive play when he signed his contract. Don't get fooled again, boys. Miller knows what to say to sound good. Let's see when it counts. It's not just Miller, though. It's not just Miller. It's, it not, it's, it's not just Miller. And um, um, but, but I understand your comments on that, Nate. The Canucks do not get the benefit of the doubt here. Until they do it when the games matter. This is just something that we're going to observe and go, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting that they they, they they look better. There were tons of reasons why 
you know, you could come up with sustainable reasons why they were playing better under Bruce Boudreaux. Like he was, you could just say, people were like, he was a way better coach than Travis Green, right? Look at, look at how many games he's won in the NHL. Like, and I finally brought in a coach that has some experience in the NHL that has done it with other teams. Look at them go. Their talent is fully on display here and we're rolling into next season, right? I'm not sure if, if the fans all like these wins, but I can guarantee you that Canuck management does sure. because they never believed in Bruce Boudreaux. We all know that. They never believed in Bruce Boudreaux. Jim Rutherford was fine with Bruce taking over at the halfway point last season before Jim had even taken that job, mm-hmm. but he did not want him as the coach going forward. But whatever, for whatever reasons, whether he wasn't allowed to fire Bruce Boudreaux or he was nervous to fire Bruce Boudreaux because he knew that the fans loved him, he didn't fire Bruce Boudreaux until the team was in another tailspin. Mm-hmm. All along, these guys have been saying the team needs more structure. And frankly, I think it was obvious to everyone that the team needed to play with more structure and less uh, just overall dumbness to yep. their play. Like, is that a fair way to to say uh, to describe how they played? Like, they played no, du- was, they played yeah, dumb there hockey. No, there was just no plan. There was no end game. There was yeah. no. This is what we want to accomplish. It was just kind of figuring it out on the fly. And oftentimes that meant picking the pocket out of the back of their own net. Was I mean that's that's the only way to say it. We would have on. I remember when we would have on Batch and or Randeep on a show. Following the first two months of the season when a game would be done, I remember asking, I was like, how hard is it to call a game when you're trying to describe the exact same errors being made time and time again? Like, we just saw this really bad instance instance of puck management, and now we're seeing it again. We just saw a really egregious turnover, and now we just saw another one. Like, it wasn't one-offs. No, it was like... Yeah, it was it was it, a circus, man. A but, circus of turnovers. But what it was was it, it was the end game of a team that went into a match not knowing what it wanted to do and trying to figure it out on the fly, trying to you know just get by on good vibes and good times. You were talking about um, Tyler Myers earlier in his post game audio clip from Saturday's win over Ottawa. We don't have to play it; it's fine. Um, he mentions very briefly, uh, and it was kind of an innocuous anecdote, but I thought it was interesting. Someone asked him about a, a play he made along the wall to keep a puck in the zone and being aggressive, pinching as a defenseman. And, he, and then he very clearly said, well, yeah, the big difference now is we know what times to go and what times not to because there needs to be a good F3 high. So he basically said, if the guy's there, I can go. If the guy's not there, I don't go. Right. I don't get to make up the decision on mm-hmm. when I want to go. Yeah. There's a rule in place, essentially, where... There's no there's no gut instincts like, <laughs> Tyler's feeling it right now. Right. But that's how they played <laughs> earlier on. That's what they did, is they are like, ah, let's go for it. I remember Ethan Bear making a really costly turnover one time, and him saying... Well, you know, I knew what the right play there was to make, and it was to backhand it and rim it out and make a safe play. He's like, but I tried to make a play. But that's how Bruce coached, right? He was was always like, yeah, go make plays. You guys are good hockey players. Go make plays. And do you remember when uh, Kevin Bieksa came and delivered that speech to the dressing room? He said, you guys are lucky. Bruce lets you play. Oh, because he's Because he's comparing that to other coaches 
that don't let you make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. There are some rules in place, and frankly, I think you need rules. <laughs> you I like order. Without uh, order, there is chaos. Well, especially when you have a, a, um, a team that has some inexperience in there, a team that hasn't won before as a group. You need some rules because if you're making it up as you go, you're kind of like, well, why are we trusting these guys? They've never even done anything. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Now we will go to the phone lines and continue the Canucks conversation with Ian McIntyre of Sportsnet right here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, good morning, iMac. How are you? I'm doing well. Looking forward to another week. How many will the Canucks win this week? Mm-hmm. So I guess the big question we all have right now is this improved defensive play sustainable into next season for the Canucks? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Uh, I, I'm, going, I'm going to say yes. We, uh, we are all, I think, aware how what happened last year turned out not to be sustainable. And when I say last year, just all the winning that occurred under, under Boudreaux and uh, gave people the impression, hey, you know, 32, 15, and 10, Let's just extrapolate that over the next 82 games, and the Canucks are in the playoffs. And of course, it didn't it didn't work out that way. But i I think I think this is sustainable because they're playing so differently. It's not that they're it's not that they're winning games. That's the big thing for for Talkit. It's that they're playing this way. And I remember <clears throat> reaching out because I you know. I, I I knew Rick Tockett, but I didn't know Rick Tockett. So I, I reached out to a couple of uh, former coaches who knew him, know him very well when he was hired. And, you know, the Canucks were an absolute mess. It's hard to remember. That was only, you know, six weeks ago. I guess it was two months ago. Anyways, they were a mess. They were 31st in the National Hockey League in team defense. And, just a, a tire fire on the ice. Apart from all the stuff that had happened around Bruce and how badly his firing was was handled, the the team was a mess. And and my question to these former coaches was, can he actually fix this? Like, is this fixable? And the response was pretty similar from both, in that Rick Tockett is is stubborn and patient enough that he's going to outweigh the players on this, that no matter how long it takes, he's going to get them to play the, play the right way and to defend and be a different team, be a much harder team uh, to play against than what, what they were currently. And neither was making any predictions about how good the team might be but they said that Tockett was going to outweigh these guys and he's going to get them to play his way. And that has already occurred, which is, you know, it's only January 22nd, wasn't that long ago that Tockett started. But it's already occurred that he has, as I said uh, the other night in my story, it's like he's built the Acropolis in seven weeks because it's hard to 
When you see the team on Saturday night, it's hard to believe that's the same team that was 31st. So if, they, if they're going to play that way, and I think they will, I, I think they're going to have the potential to have more success. I don't know what they're going to do next year. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team like Patrick Alvin uh, wants them to, wants them to be. But I think they are going to continue to play this way, and they're going to be a much tougher out uh, than they had been before Talkett was hired. The Bruce Boudreau era, to me, always seemed like a, I don't know, how long was it, uh, Bruce, there it is, like three-month sugar high. Like, that's what it seemed like to me, where they were playing on good vibes and great goaltending, maybe a few uh, tactical changes to their forecheck, but overall you were like, this is a team that looks like it's going to crash, especially if it doesn't get the great goaltending. Um, and that's exactly what happens. happened. Um, under Rick Tockett, for me, it's, I don't know if what's the, what's the uh, counter analogy to the sugar high. Is it like, do, are they like eating a nutritious, balanced diet now where they're, they're kind of like taking care of the fundamentals of their diet? I think it's really interesting that a lot of the players are like, it's way more black and white now before there was a lot of – gray area and I can't remember it might have been Tyler Myers or JT Miller that had that quote in the piece you wrote IMAC after the Senators game yeah it was JT Miller who said when the crap but he didn't say the word crap and I said the actual word he said on late night post game radio but on a Monday morning I won't say it they say when the crap hits hits the fan they have a structure to fall back on and that things are a lot more uh, black and white now than the gray areas what's what you know in a nutshell what's it what happened i think with the two coaches and i and i like your sugar high analogy but bruce uh was successful last season because he empowered the players he made the players feel great and he he basically put them in a six uh position to play to their strengths and go be a confident offensive team he empowered the players and what Rick Tockett has done is take the power back for now and and insist that no no you play it this way Uh, we know how we know what you want to do we know what you can do offensively but no we're gonna we're gonna play this way and he's brought in these you know what did he say right from from the start non-negotiables he brought in Mm -hmm. rules Hard and fast yeah. rules. <laughs> yes, expectations, demands. How how novel, but it, it's it's working now because the the players have bought in and they've all bought in. You know, you mentioned J T. Miller. What a what a difference in his play. Pedersen has been their best player all year, but he's even better now. Uh, Quinn Hughes, the uptick in his game, and of course. You know, the backdrop to all this as well recently is that they've got back Thatcher Demko, which is, you know, kind of a remarkable individual story right now that isn't getting as as much attention. It's not that Thatcher Demko is back and healthy, which in itself is a very positive thing, but that he's back and suddenly playing like he did last year. And there was there was very few signs of that Thatcher Demko when this year started. So that's that's a huge thing as well. But you have your best players, your the best players on your team buying in, then it's going to be a lot easier to sell that to all the other players. And 
in some ways, that's the harder part. You know, the, the, the Phil DiGiuseppe's of the world, when they get a chance, for the most part, they're going to do whatever the coach tells them to do because they just want another game. And they know that the best way to do that is, is to satisfy whatever the demands the coach has of you. You've got no leeway if you're Phil DiGiuseppe. But you have some leeway if you're J.T. Miller. And there was, there was just too much leeway under Bruce Boudreaux. We're speaking to Ian McIntyre here on the Halford Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. IMAC is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Jason, was there something you wanted to follow up with? Actually, I wanted to uh, reference this Rick Bonus quote, currently the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, but we all know Rick Bonus spent time uh, on Alain Vigneault's staff uh, in Vancouver, and he had this really good quote from, I think it was November of last year, and he said that bad teams are led by no one. Average teams are led by coaches. Good teams are led by players. That's where we're trying to get to. Now, we all know that the Winnipeg Jets have had leadership issues or situations in the last little while. Um, they had their captain, Blake Wheeler, who was no longer the captain, and then they had to kind of reinvent themselves under Rick Bonus. I'm looking at the fact that the Canucks have no captain. Their alternates are Oliver ekman Larson, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, and Elias Pettersson. Okay, Quinn Hughes is going to be here for a while. Oliver ekman Larson, all sorts of talk about him being bought out this offseason. JT Miller, I don't know if you've heard, there's been a little of trade talk about JT Miller that might continue into the offseason up until his no-move clause kicks in. And then Elias Pettersson, who we all love here in Vancouver, but the fact is he hasn't signed a long-term extension yet. He can do that this offseason. So it begs the question, I suppose, of how long are the Canucks going to be Rick Tockett's team and is one of the challenges for Tockett in the organization as a whole um, going to be uh, handing off this group to the players so that they can take it over and you can have a room like you did under AV and Rick Bonus where the players were accountable to each other and they took care of a lot of leadership. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think that's the objective of uh, really of, of every organization and and what bonus was saying and by the way one of the favorite people in the game my favorite people in the game one of the best people i've ever covered uh, i think what he's saying in a in a nutshell is that you to be a really successful organization to be one of the top organizations you have to have the players set the culture and uh, you know that we're all tired of that c word as well in Vancouver and how much we've discussed it. You know, it was supposed to be the big thing coming into this season, and then it got trumped by some other things. But ultimately, you want that that standard set by the players, and, and that's why, or part of the reason why, the Canucks were such a great team under Elaine Vigneault and Rick Bonus, because the culture was set by the Sedins and others. Uh, and and every player who walked through those those dressing room doors was aware of that culture. That hey, are, these are the best players. They're the hardest working guys on the ice. They're the hardest working guys in the gym. They're they're the best teammates you could ever have. Every day, they've got the right attitude. You know, every day they're trying to get better, and they're doing 
whatever the team needs them to do. It's never about themselves. And, you know, that's, that's leadership at its, at its peak, at its pinnacle. That's what you strive for in your best players. And I think the Canucks have, you know, the players, and especially, you know, Pedersen and Hughes, guys who can get there, guys, guys who can do that. But ultimately, that's what you need. And if you look at the teams that have won the Stanley Cup, you know, Colorado, uh, they're still such a young team, and, and they had this, this one burst. They've been a very good team, obviously, for a few years now. But they've had this one, one burst. So I, I'm not speaking so much about them as I, as I would say about the Tampa Bay Lightning and the culture that they have with, with their top players or the best team in the NHL this season and, and arguably the best regular season that any team has had since the Canucks in, in 2010-11, the Boston Bruins. Look at the culture that they have with, with their top players. And I, I think this is just w- what every team strives for. And can the Canucks get there? That's their hope. Mm-hmm. That's their hope that you, you uh, if you're Rick Tockett, that you're teaching and you're demanding and you want them to play a certain way, but eventually you want that to be their way to play, not your way to play as the coach. You want the players to feel like that's their way to play. And that's when, you, when you're when you on to something and you, you establish that standard from the players, from, from peer pressure. Then you have a chance to do something, but that takes a long time. Hey, iMac, earlier in our hit when we asked you, uh, is this place sustainable until next season, how hesitant were you to say yes? Because we've, we've been like, you, yeah. you just don't want to get fooled again. And well, these games, there's no pressure on the Canucks right now. And, you know, the Ottawa Senators probably, you know, even though they've looked good recently, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. The Anaheim Ducks are terrible, except when they play in Calgary, apparently. But yeah. when, you know, like it, there is that sense in this market, like I'm not getting fooled again. Lucy's not going to pull the football away from me again. I'm not going to kick. Yeah. Well, I think there's that sense not only from from how this season started after last season, and I think there's that sense from the last 52 years from from watching this team that there's always there's always uh, catastrophe lurking. You know, we do, we yeah, can't because there has nice, been we can't have nice things. Yes, there has been. You're right. I mean, it's 52 years of the only organization in the NHL that's 0 and three. In, in Stanley Cup Finals, so I think there's I think there's always that, and I and I completely get it. I mean, I grew up here. You guys are from here. Like, this is you know we talk about culture. This is the culture of the Canucks that they'll set you up for disappointment uh, over the years. Yeah, a fan base and, has a culture too, right? Yes, yes, it does. I mean, it's diverse, but it's it's one of the aspects that unites all the different tribes within this fan base is that there's been an awful lot of disappointment. And it seems at times the greatest disappointment when you expect the most. And there was a lot expected this season. I don't know how much is going to be expected next season, but people, people are wary. And, and they're right to be wary about it. Uh, I, and again, I'm not making any predictions that it's going to be dramatically different next year, but I do think the groundwork is now mm-hmm. different. Like the, that culture 
that we were just talking about, that's started to sprout, you know, the culture that you want with the team. You know, are they going to be able to carry it through the end of the season and then over those five months that they're not playing again? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm not going to predict that one way or the other, but I do think, I do think that this is what we're seeing now is, is a, a seismic shift from where they were two months ago. And uh, I think there's a lot more, I think the foundation to build on now with Talkit is a lot more solid. I think they have a chance to be a good team. It was a needed step, certainly, that yes. they, they, they needed to take. And there's lots more steps to go, but it is a step in the right direction. Um, we'll see. It's the Vancouver Canucks, after all. Ian, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of your week. Well, nice being on with you guys, and have a good week. And uh, we'll see what the Canucks offer us next. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. That's Ian McIntyre, a presentation of Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. Visit them on the Internet. AvenueMachinery.ca and DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Okay. Um, so let's get into what we learned now. Uh, text yours into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Burger emoji for the $50 white spot gift certificate. Ticket emoji for the Canucks tickets to uh, the Dallas Stars game tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. You can use both emojis if you want to be entered into both competitions for best what we learn. Make it a ticket burger. That's a thing. A ticket burger? Yeah. Okay. Or a burger ticket. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a quick what we learned Okay. Uh, before we go to break. And my what we learned is I learned that this weekend was one heck of a weekend for Surrey Sports. What up, Surrey? Way to go. Way to go. They killed it this weekend. You they got did. two things you got to get to here. Two things. It was an all Surrey BC Boys High School Basketball Championship. Out at the LEC, Semi Amu versus Fleetwood Park. So Semi is actually the uh, the school that um, our program director Cam Barra went to. So Cam was very proud of Semi, which absolutely destroyed the competition, including Fleetwood Fleetwood Park in the uh, high school basketball championship. So congratulations to Semi Amu. I have a couple old buddies that uh, went to semi, and they are now claiming, even though they graduated in 1989, that they set the foundation for the culture of semi-amu basketball. So it was culture, a win for them. Yeah, culture It was a win for them way as back well, when. you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, nothing has definitely changed in the lower mainland since then. No, everything is the exact same. The other uh, good bit of Surrey sports news is that Surrey's own Adam Svensson um, got himself a nice little payday, along with Adam Hadwin, by the way, at the Players' Championship down in Florida. Adam Svensson was actually in the lead for a little while during this tournament. Now, he ended up getting paired with Scotty Scheffler on Saturday in the third round, and Scotty Scheffler went on to win the Players. He's just a terrific golfer right now. There's nothing flashy really about Scotty Scheffler. He no. just... He just hits a lot of fairways and doesn't make many mistakes. And we're trying to book Adam Spenceman to have on the show because I'd be curious to to talk about his journey because he was playing Division Two NCAA golf. Like he, I don't think he was a particularly highly touted uh, player when he went into college, but he's obviously turned into one heck of a player. I'm wondering what he learned 
at this tournament, being in the spotlight, playing in Scotty Scheffler's group. Uh, I watched as much of his round as NBC would allow me to do because as soon as he stumbled, it was like Adam Spenson was totally forgotten. Like we, we barely saw him on TV. They're like, oh, here's the shot on 17. We'll give you that. Um, he had a bit of a stumble on uh, a par five when he really should have been able to get up and down for at least, well, it would have been nice if he made a birdie, uh, but he ended up taking four shots to get in the hole. So he ended up bogeying. And then a few holes later, he had a triple. So it was tough because you're playing under pressure at a very tough course, uh, high stakes, but he still ended up making about half a million bucks. So congratulations to Surrey. You really showed up this weekend in the world of sports. Give me a moo cow. Just think what they'll be like once they get their stadium. Oh yeah. It'll, right. It'll be huge. I know. The sports mecca of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) We're going postal here, folks. Mailman Matt with a what we learned for the tickets. Hashtag WW what we learned. Uh, The first round in the Eastern Conference could be a battle for the rights to jersey colors. Who gets blue and white? Tampa or Toronto? Do black and yellow go to Pittsburgh or Boston? I thought about this at the break because my mind started going in a lot of different directions. If the Canucks traveling fan base was going to invade a different city or a different market for one game or maybe a series. Mm -hmm. Like how New York did Philly a couple weeks ago. Remember the blue shirts all showed up. What's the appropriate color to wear in the opposition's barn? What would you, what would you all rally behind? Would it be blue and green? Unless you're in Dallas, I'd say green is probably the one that stands out the most. Because if you go in if you go in black, you run the chance of not really standing out, right? The Canucks have used every color. They've used too many colors under the right? rainbow, like in I, the rainbow. Like I th- I'm not going to get down which one is yours because I understand that it's generational. But we've been to a lot of sporting events, a lot of neutral sporting events, mm-hmm. where you get a really very obvious contrast in color. Like the best one was team the is one color. Halloween, one. Halloween, John Garrett jersey. That's what I would choose because it stands out. It's such an eyesore that people are like, who it's the such hell an are eyesore. These? Who are these guys? And there's thousands of them. Like, That's it's not just, a bad show. It just like makes your eyes if bleed. If you're going to go, you got to go garish. Oh, right? yeah, it's like yeah. The, the most splashy this color This is the worst jersey The, be- the best seen. color contrast I've ever seen in person was the Winter Classic at the Big House in Michigan when you had yeah. the blue of the Leafs and the red of the Red Wings. And there was no, there was no, there, was no, there might've been like one guy wearing like, I'm wearing my green St. Patrick's day Leafs jersey or whatever. But you know, it was mostly just, it looked like, uh, you know what it looked like? Kind of looked like an FA cup. Yeah. Was you that know, the pinnacle tops? of outdoor games? That For sure. I you think, think so? Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, hundred thousand yeah, people. Awesome. There. Yeah. Well, it's like when you it see, was terrific. Like the Mersey and side. it had like the, the snow coming down. It was perfect. Like the Merseyside Derby, like Liverpool, red, mm-hmm. Everton, blue. Right. There's no crossover. Yeah, there's no, you know, it's that that's just how nobody's getting goes. mixed up. Of who's cheering for who in that kind of environment? Yeah, exactly, right. I mean, no, red is red and blue is blue, and that's how we go. Okay, so anyway, congrats to mailman Matt. Was it Bruff that wanted to be a mailman? I'm trying to remember yeah. which one of it was. Yeah. It was he was Bruff, right? Yeah, it's good exercise. He likes to walk. I was also in on that. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you still in that boat? You still yeah. want to try being try working for the Canadian Postal? Yeah, after the show, just like instead of having to go for, so oftentimes I'll go for a walk just to get a little bit of exercise. If, well I, don't, if I don't want to go to the gym or anything, I'll be like, yeah. you know, but I still need to go have a walk. Mm-hmm. Why not make some? You get those little money? cars too. You could drive around, open door on the side. They're no, rough would do yeah, it old school. I want to be. Would, were you not listening to anything? <laughs> he would be like a nineteen. <laughs> that's an advantage. You get both. He'd be like a nineteen thirties mailman with oh. the old bag slang and just like throwing them at the house. Might just be stuff. a milkman at that point. 
Enjoy I, your mail, sir. Are there still milkman jobs? There should be. You don't carry the, the milk, though. At any rate, uh, Brett from Nanaimo. We are losing focus. As we print off some submissions. Have we done that yet? Anyway. No. Uh, I learned that Erling Holland has six more goals than Crystal Palace. Side note, Crystal Palace is not even in the rele- relegation zone. They are not. Uh, there's like 10 teams that are in danger of being relegated in the Premier League. You know, we kind of weird. What the, uh, maybe the hopes that we were projecting for an Eastern Conference playoff race, we <laughs> yeah. can pivot them over to the relegation battle in England because it is mm-hmm. unbelievable. It gives me hope for Leeds, given how bad the season has yeah. been, that all you need is two victories on the trot. You're probably okay. pretty happy to see, though, and I'm being sarcastic here. No, this weekend was not great. Bournemouth yeah. beat Liverpool. So Liverpool hosts Manchester United a few days ago and beats them 7-0. Yeah. And then were they at Bournemouth? They probably yeah. went there. Yep. Uh, and they lost 1-0. What an up-and-down season, mostly down for Liverpool. It's been the story of the campaign because they've never been able to find any consistency. Yet, they've had moments with the heights that makes you remember just how dominant they can be when they're on their game. But it's, you know, and I don't want to go off on too big of a tangent here. It is way too much of a grind. That's my one big takeaway from watching for the big it. clubs. Yeah, they yeah. play. They, they play, play too, too much. Games, they play though. way too much. Yeah, right. And you need this gigantic squad, and you need to spend so much capital to keep it going. Mm-hmm. You need to stay healthy, and the substitution rules have helped a little bit. Yeah. But I think it's almost impossible to keep years of dominance. That said, there's Real, who's been pretty consistently good for a very long time. Right. Anyway, uh, Will from Langley. What we learned, me and my roommate, Will, my roommate and I have come to the conclusion that work goes by at light speed listening to you guys. <laughs> it makes a hard turn when Drance comes on. And all of a sudden, the rest of the work is like walking down a hallway ba- barefoot covered in Legos. I'd like to watch Vancouver get a W today. Well, too bad, Will, because we already gave away the tickets. You'll have to watch it on television. But that's okay. And the game's tomorrow, but we do, we digress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Other than that, I, text. I, I admire Drancer's commitment to the bit. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. You Other people just... would have been like, man, I sure I'm taking a lot of abuse here. He is leaning into it. He is really, really leaning into it. It's great to see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild because at equal times, he'll have, like, skin thinner than rice paper. And then also, <laughs> he'll have, like, the skin of a rhinoceros because he's just, like, he won't. Yeah. And nor should he back down. Yeah, no, I will never log off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your hatred only makes my opinion stronger. That's it, right? And So, uh, so, so here's, here's an interesting question to throw out, um, and, it's, and it really is interesting. Okay. Let's say the Canucks make the playoffs next season. Will people be dunking on Drance? And let's say they make the playoffs but lose in the first round. Does Drance then get to dunk on them? See, this is my whole issue. He's playing with, the long game. <laughs> this is my whole The issue. really long yeah, game. Yeah. This is my yeah. entire issue with, uh, one, people, but then two, <laughs> social media in general has – reduced us to polarized opinions yeah. and then keeping receipts to throw back in somebody's face later. 
Well, Drancer keeps a lot of receipts. Everyone he does. He takes pride in it. Everyone does. I've got a few screenshots in my photos album. You said this once at a certain point in time. <laughs> I will now use it against you for the remainder of time. The key is to not have any evidence out there against you that you ever said anything. Or any opinions. See, that's why you're living you're living life, and right? Tweet like, all of the opinions and delete the wrong ones after. Yeah. That's true. But you, if screen- you never say anything, if you never make any predictions, then you're good. See, I'm playing the long game. They're like, yeah. Alfred said never never said anything interesting or opinionated in his life. Yet he talks for a living. It's very strange. Uh, Chet and Burnaby, what we learned, I learned that Kuzminko was doing a signing on the weekend, and the most popular picture, him hugging Rip the puppy. Yep. I am jealous. Have I, I don't know if I've seen that picture. I There's, saw the picture of, of him uh, with Quinn Hughes. And I tweeted out that it looked like the start of an 80s sitcom. Like, Kuzmenko was Balky, mm-hmm. and Quinn Hughes was Larry Aploton. Yeah, just say Perfect Strangers. Everyone was like, that's exactly what that is. That's Perfect right? Strangers. They, they yeah. told both of them, they're like, can you guys do like a Perfect Strangers thing? And neither of them knew what that reference was because they're too young. Yet they pulled it off. Is perfectly. Kuzmenko from Meepos? Mm, no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to the signing, Andy? You, I feel wait, like wait, 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 you would have Do you guys remember Perfect Strangers? No. I mean, I know what it is, but I've never seen it. Okay. Laddie, do you, uh, did, did you know what it was? No recollection of Perfect Strangers, no. I what? remember when I saw Balky playing a different role that I was totally rattled because he had a he had a minor role in Beverly Hills Cop. Bronson. And he was also Pinchot. in, Bronson Pinchot was also in Risky Business with Tom Cruise. Yeah. It was kind of like the first time that someone saw Borat when he wasn't Borat, mm-hmm. when he was yeah, just blows your mind. Well, it yeah. must have been. It must have been. He had the role with Risky Business first, when he was one of Tom Cruise's friends, mm-hmm. and then he did Perfect Strangers. And then during Perfect Strangers, I think he had the role during Beverly Hills Cop, and it was like, well, wait a minute, that's Balky. Yeah, you can't have him in an action comedy here. That that's is, Balky. That is one of the things about being typecast. It was I'm hard for say- Urkel to find work outside of the nerd <laughs> genre. And when you once you're Balky, you can't go back. If you're Balky, you're Balky. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the uh, You play these iconic characters, like look at Kramer or George Costanza. Like, I mean, yeah, obviously those actors have had other work, but I mean, it's very minimal. Kramer did well after signing. Oh yeah, you hit it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say though that Kuzmenko signing <laughs> <laughs> on a rocket ship. How many people brought bananas to Kuzmenko at the signing? Uh, by Kuzmenko the way. signing. I saw pictures of it on Twitter. I'm just picturing him like a giant pile of bananas behind him. Thanks, and just throws it on the pile. What what have I done? Uh, The lineup was... The lineup was huge. It was such yeah, a huge lineup. Yeah, people love Kuzbenko, man. Please. You're not oh, how can you not? No he's more good, bananas. He's a good player, and it, it seems like a pretty uh, fun personality, too. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.